Well, I want to begin with a little poll that I need for all of you to be involved with. And uh, here's the question. When you can't make a decision, how many of you turn to rock, paper, scissors? Let's be honest. I mean, come on. You're rock, one, one, two, three, shoot. You know, one, two, three. And you do rock most of the time. Let's be honest. You do rock. All right. How many of you go to that? Let's be honest. Come on. That's it. Decision makers. All right. All right. A few of you. Uh, what about pick a number? It's okay. Pick a number. Can't make a decision. Pick a number. Okay. Odd or even? Odd or even? All right, what about this one? Flip a coin. Flip a coin. It's like, can't make a decision. Can't, you know, where are you going to go to eat? What movie you're going to see? Who's going to buy? It's like heads or tails. You know, tails always fails, even though it's not supposed to. All right, how many of you? Okay, let's be honest. Good gracious, what an indecisive bunch today. I mean, come on, help me out. Leave a brother hanging up here, you know? Uh, hey, you might not realize this, but uh, a coin toss, a coin flip, is used to make all sorts of decisions. Uh, we see it all the time in sports. If you're a football fan, you know this. Every game begins with a coin toss. And if it goes into sudden death, if it goes into overtime, a coin toss uh, is determined to see who gets the ball first. And statistics show that the person who wins the coin toss has a higher percentage of winning the game. There have been some elections that have been decided by a coin flip. There was actually a, an election in Alaska a few years ago. It was a local election. So it was a dead tie, dead heat. And then it was decided by a coin flip. Now, can you imagine being in that room, you know, all that time, and you, you call the wrong one, you know? I mean, but it was decided by election. Portland, Oregon, the name was actually determined by a coin toss. If it had gone the other way, do you know what the name would have been? Boston, Oregon. See, there you go. That's your takeaway for today, right there. Some of you are going to go home smarter than when you came in here. Hey, listen, hey, we're glad that you're here as we are in week two of our series called The Chase and want to welcome our online community and our Oak Creek campus as uh, we are talking about this whole idea that all of us, whether you're a religious person or you're not a religious person, we are all chasing after something or someone. And last week, uh, I raised two questions uh, for all of us. And the first question was this. Well, what are you chasing after right now? Now, some of you will be like, well, I'm not really chasing after anything, you know? But here's the thing. What do you find your mind roaming to, the thoughts of your mind roaming to, when you allow your mind to roam? Whatever that is on a consistent basis, that's probably what you're chasing after. And then we followed up with this question. Well, why? Why? And we said behind, behind the motivation behind what we're chasing after is because if we believe if and when we get it, here's what's going to happen. It'll make us happy that we are all chasing happiness. Now, here's the thing about happiness. I think most of us tend to view happiness like a coin toss. You know, we just see it as something just kind of random. It's this moving target. It's like, okay, I'm going to get this, and this will make me happy, and then we get it. And then it's like there's something over there, and we're like, okay, well, i got to get that over there. And then something over there, and we kind of move again, and we just kind of keep moving around, chasing after these things that will make us happy. But this chase after happiness is such a big part of our lives. We even say things like this. We even say things like, well, God wants us to be happy, which is our way of saying, why wouldn't God? want me to have whoever or whatever I'm chasing after right now. But here's the thing. It's not that God doesn't want us to be happy. He has something more and better for us than happiness. And it's something that we're probably, most of us, we aren't chasing after right now. And it's this idea, and it was mentioned earlier, this idea of joy. Now, I know when we hear the word joy, it doesn't sound really exciting. I guarantee you, you weren't like, hey, kids, we're going to church today. We're going to talk about joy today, you know? And you're probably like, I'd rather eat kale for breakfast than talk about joy when you really think about it. But here is, here's the definition of joy. We looked at this last week. We said, here's what joy is. This deep sense, and we're going to talk more about this, this deep sense uh, part of joy as we go through the series, that I'm okay 
no matter what's happening around me. Now, I don't know about you, but if I can experience that in my life, that sounds kind of exciting to me. Now, one of the problems I, I think we have with joy is we just see it as a form of happiness. In fact, for, for many of us, we use joy and happiness interchangeably. But the truth is they are very different from each other. You know, one of the differences is this, is that happiness is external. Happiness is based on what goes on outside of us. And so if things are going well outside of us, we're happy. It's like it didn't snow today. None of us are happy then, right? You know, uh, but it's like, okay, hey, my favorite team won. I'm happy. Church got out early. I am really happy, you know, which means if, this is, if it's, it's based on what's going on outside of us, it means that it's up to us to control outcomes. But the reality is, is we can't control outcomes. We can influence outcomes, but we can't control outcomes. But joy, on the other hand, joy is internal. And like the definition said, it's this deep sense. It's something that we experience deep within our soul. So deep is that we can have the worst day, the worst week, the worst month, the worst year, and still somehow experience this wonderful, mysterious thing called joy. Now, another difference between the two is that happiness is based on circumstance. You know, the root word, the root happy is Latin for luck. In other words, we're at the mercy of what happens around us. And, and the word circumstance, circumstance literally means this. It means the circle that you're standing in. In other words, it's the place we choose to dwell. You know, have you ever noticed this? where you see two people and they're going through the same things, but they react in completely different ways. One of them, you know, dwells in it and the other doesn't. It just might be. We are letting the circle of our stance determine where we stand. But joy offers something very different than that. You see, joy is based on a relationship with Jesus, which is why we can't manufacture joy. Joy is an outcome of following Jesus. Now, if you're not here and, and you're not a Christian, you kind of hear this stuff and you go like, Mark, that doesn't even make sense to me. It's kind of this disconnect. It sounds kind of strange and all this stuff. You know, if that's you, we're glad you're here. And this is why I want to encourage you to explore who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. Because what you're going to find out is he can really change your life. In fact, last week we talked exactly how he can change your life. And we said, hey, when you make a decision to follow Jesus, here's what God does is that God begins to do a good work. And we say good work, this means a work that we can't do. A good work in us. And we said last week, we all have all, all unfinished projects in our life. We'll start something and often not finish through. But the promise is that God will always see this work he's doing in our life through. And then these two words in us right here are really important. He doesn't do a work outside of us. He does it in us. And let me tell you why, because this is what's true of all of us, that what's inside of us, eventually comes out of us. You see, if you want to change the outside of you, first change the inside of you. And then we said God does this in two ways. And the first way is supernatural. Now, I know that sounds kind of weird. It's like supernatural. You know what's going on in the supernatural. But here, here's what supernatural is. It literally means this, this. Outside of the natural. And it's hard to explain. It's that when God does a work inside of us, it's just a work that we can't do inside of us. And then the second way he does this is just natural, is that we decide to cooperate with God in the work that he's doing in our lives. And when we do, we go on this great journey of discovery. And as we go on this journey of discovery, it's like, hey, you know what? I never saw things that way before. Hey, you know what? I would have never imagined 
handling my relationships that way before. Hey, you know what? I'm glad I learned that because I never would have seen that before. And so it's this wonderful journey. It's this wonderful process that we get to go on with God. And when we decide to cooperate with God in this process, we experience joy. Now, final difference between the two is that happiness happens by chance. All people say, well, I'm just going to choose to be happy. The problem is that's impossible because happiness, it's, it's not up to us. It's up to the weather. It's up to our team. It's up to our circumstances around us. But joy, on the other hand, joy, 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 it happens by choice. It's a decision we make, which means, ultimately speaking, it's up to us. Now, we're spending our entire series in this New Testament book of Philippians. And Philippians talks about this topic, joy, more than any other book. In fact, Paul, who wrote the book of Philippians, uses the words joy or rejoice 16 times in a very, very short book. In fact, if you, if you read it through the New Testament, it's probably two to three pages of your entire New Testament, yet he talks about this word 16 times. Now, our hope as we go through this series is not that we just leave here understanding more about what joy is, even though I hope that we do, but that we would also chase after joy so we would experience it in our lives. Because I believe if you do, we will go, you know what, that's what I wanted all along. Now, the big irony in this is that Paul is writing this while he's in prison for something that he didn't do. And so it's so easy to go, you know, Paul, if, if Paul was here and he heard my story, he, he just wouldn't understand what I'm going through. And I think if Paul were here, he would go, you know what, you may be right, but that doesn't change the fact that we can still experience joy no matter our circumstance. And so what we're going to do today is we are going to talk about how joy is very much connected with and connected to what we are living for. So we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Now, if you missed last week as we kick up the series, I need you to go online and watch or listen or, or download our podcast, subscribe to our podcast, and so you can kind of keep up with everything uh, as we move forward with the series. And so we're going to pick it up right where we left off. Our, our guy, Paul, book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 12. Here's what Paul says. He says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Now, happened to me. This is where many of us get stuck. You know, as much as we try to do it, there are just things in our life that we can't stop, that we can't control. They happen anyways. You know, we live in a broken world. We live in a world where there's people in our lives, and they don't care the decisions that they make if they're going to hurt the people around them. And you know, we live in a broken world. We live in a world where there's hate, and there's addiction, and there's sickness, and there's all sorts of brokenness, and racism, and all sorts of awful isms that go along with that. You know, we live in a just a broken, messed up, busted world, but it's in the midst of all that that we still have a choice. We can still choose this thing called joy. You know, one of the things I've noticed in my life, and I've seen it in so many other people's lives, that when something bad happens to us, we tend to ask what I call the why question. Uh, as I was preparing for this message, a very close friend of mine who's a pastor of a, of a very large church, uh, large staff, uh, they found out that two of their staff people were having an affair. And so they approached both of them. They both stepped down. And as they approached him, uh, they, were, they, were, they said, does your wife know? And he said no. And he said, okay, we're going to give you a week. And then you need to tell her because they all knew his wife. And so followed up with them in a week. Did you tell your wife? No. You got two days. He left that meeting went home, 
and he took his own life. And I just remember hearing the story, and I'm like, oh man, oh God, why? Why? And you know, all of us, I bet you many of us here, we have a, a story that left us asking, why? God, why, why did you allow that? And why didn't you do anything? And why me? And why now? And maybe there's some of you that are here that you're going through a situation right now and you're asking why and you're not getting any answers. Listen, the why question, it is an important question. I, I think it's a, it's a natural question for us to start with. The problem is, is that when we stay stuck on the why question, we stay stuck in our lives because what we find out is there's really not many answers that'll satisfy us. You see, God never promises us a pain-free, problem-free life. In fact, Jesus says, we will have trouble. And if you know his story, <laughs> he had a lot of trouble when you think about it. And see, here's what he does promise. He promises he'll be with us. And he'll promise he'll give us whatever we need to overcome it. Now, the good news is, is that Paul doesn't stop with the why question. And he gives us another question, a question that he's going to be like, hey, eventually we need to transition to this question. So here's what he says. He says, as a result, it has been, become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Now, in, in Roman prisons, it was very common that, um, that the prisoners were chained to a Roman, Roman guard, and they would, they would serve on eight-hour shifts. And so Paul says, it has become very clear to me that whoever is guarding me, it's an opportunity for me to share my story about who Jesus is and what he's done with my life. In other words, I have someone's undivided attention for eight hours straight. Poor guards, when you think about it, you know? I mean, and I, I wasn't there, obviously, but I can imagine the turnover was really high when it came to that. Can you imagine the conversation? Who are you guarding today? I got Paul. Oh, 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 poor you, poor you. Listen, do you want to switch? Do you want to switch? I'll pay you. You can't pay me enough to be with that dude. It was eight hours, and let me tell you something. I bet you they were like, hashtag, get me out of here, hashtag, get me out of here. That's where hashtags were created, probably, just listening to Paul for eight hours, you know? But here's the thing. Paul, in this, he gives us another question. And Paul says, I began to see my circumstances differently when I transitioned from the why question to a better question. The what question. God, what are you doing here? God, what do you want me to do here? I know you didn't cause this as much as I want to blame you for it, God. So what are you trying to teach me through this? God, what is the purpose in all of this? You see, here's what Paul discovered, and you'll discover it as well when you ask the what question. The very thing Paul and everyone else around him thought would restrain him, God used to release his work in and through him. You know, I want you to think about this. Think about if Paul was given a choice. I was like, okay, Paul, you choose prison or no prison. Which one do you want? Well, of course he's going to choose no prison. You know, everyone's going to be like, oh, yeah, I think I'll go in jail. You know, I just love being in there. Of course he's going to choose no prison. And then Paul's going to like, yeah, because then I can go out and do what I think is best, which is to go out for him and to start these churches all around the Mediterranean rim. But think about this. If Paul doesn't go in that prison, we probably don't have the book of Philippians. In fact, we probably don't have four letters because he wrote four letters while in that prison. And so because Paul was in that prison, he's been speaking through those letters for 2,000 years. And we don't like to think about it when it's happening because we don't like it when it's happening. This is why we need to ask the what 
question because God will use our circumstances to do his work in us. And if we don't ask what, we will miss out on the what he wants to do in our lives. Now, what's great about Paul is, is that Paul began to ask this what question. He, he saw that it was more than just what God was doing in his own life. Look at what he says next. He says, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now, this is the, the perspective that the what question will allow us to see. So Paul says, hey, while I'm in prison and while I was there and I'm kind of walking through it, what's going on, I didn't realize this, but it had an impact on those around me. The people around me, they become more assured of themselves and their faith. And they even, I can't believe what's going on, it actually caused them to take greater risks. You see, the way we handle and walk through the situations in our life, whether we realize it or not, impacts the people around us. You see, every why God circumstance for us is actually a new opportunity for us to influence the people around us for the better. And then a few verses later, here's what Paul says. He says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. We're like, Paul, come on, man. How can you continue to say that? And Paul's like, hey, when I was able to kind of step back and see things from a bigger perspective, then that allowed me to choose joy. And then look, look at these two things he talks about. He says, for I know that throughout your prayers, there's one, and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus, which is just the Holy Spirit, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And so this word here, provision, it's where we get our word chorus. What a cool picture Paul paints. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, your prayers work in chorus with God's spirit, creating something good in someone else's life. Have you ever wondered, hey, do my prayers for other people matter? Paul would say, very much so. And then he continues. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will be in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted, will be revealed, will be seen in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, sufficient courage. Notice he says, will have. In other words, he doesn't have yet. And what Paul says here, I think should be an encouragement to all of us. Because when we read about Paul and all he's done, it's easy to look at this guy and go, all right, Paul is just some sort of superhuman, super spiritual guy, and he never had any problems with his faith. He never wrestled with faith. He never had any doubts. Probably never went through any dark, dark times. And, you know, he's probably sitting in this Philippian jail right now. And uh, are you probably sitting in this Roman jail right now? And he's writing the letter of Philippians, and he's going, hey, guys, jail rocks. It's so awesome. I can't tell you how much I love jail. I mean, the food's great. I mean, it is so good. I cannot believe how good the food is. And the Roman gods, they are a lot friendlier than what I thought they were. Now, the internet connection kind of stinks. I'll be honest with you. I can't send you anything. I can't, I can't get you any selfies or anything like that, you know. But I'm just telling you, as I'm writing this letter, I got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart. You know, I mean, that's what we look at Paul and we think that he's doing. But that's not what's happening here. You see, even though Paul strikes a mostly positive tone in this letter, it's not how we always felt. You see, what we struggle with, what we get confused with, is distinguishing these two things right here, our feelings and our faith. You see, we go through times, we go through seasons, and we go, well, I'm not feeling it right now, so I must not have faith. I'm not feeling it right now, so there must be something wrong with faith. But learning to distinguish between the two 
And maintaining trust in God with or without the accompanying feeling is a big part of the work that God wants to do in us. And so Paul struggled with his feelings, but he never wavered in his faith. In other words, spiritual giant Paul was no different than you and no different than me. Now, I think what what Paul writes next, I think if Paul were tatted up, I think he would have this verse tattooed right on his forearm right here because this would be one he would need to pull out many times. He'd need to do one of these right here. And so here's what Paul writes next, and maybe some of you have heard this verse before. It's a popular verse. For to me, to live is Christ. For to me, to live is Christ. In other words, for me, this is Paul, life is to relate to Jesus as the highest priority relationship. And Paul had a lot of relationships. He had parents that loved him. He had friends and colleagues, and he had teammates. He had, he had soulmates from time to time. And Paul says, when I look at all my relationships, this one right here with Jesus is the highest priority one. You see, Paul, Paul understood the limitations of human relationships. He, he knew the frailties. He knew that they could disappoint at times. And so Paul says, the one who will never disappoint, the one who is always there, is Jesus. See, according to Paul, we should hold our human relationships loosely We should enjoy them. We should treat them as a gift. But the one relationship we should put above them all, and when we put that above them all, it actually makes the other ones better. The one we should put above them all is Jesus. And when Paul says to live is Christ, he's basically saying this, hey, I'm going to obey him completely. And then he contrasts it. He says this, to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, Paul had already thought through, hey, what if this doesn't end well for me? What if I die here? He'd already done a cost-benefit analysis, and as he thought it through, he was able to make a decision in advance. He was able to say, hey, if somehow, and for some reason, I'm able to, I have to lose my life carrying out whatever God wants me to do. I don't want that to happen, but if it happens, it's okay, because when that happens, I'm just going to continue to live my life in the next life, enjoying life with Jesus forever. And then as he continues, you can just hear him thinking out loud this whole thing. And he says this, he says, if I'm going to go on living life, living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. In other words, I'm just going to keep living for the best mission in the world. Yet, what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. In other words, I desire to be with Jesus, but he's not done with me yet. He's got a purpose for me. So because of that, I'm going to continue to live for him. I I heard one pastor say it this way. If you ain't dead, you ain't done. So here's our big idea for today, or we call it our joy principle for today. Here it is. Whenever we live for Christ, we're in a win-win situation. Whenever we live for Christ, we're in a win-win situation. I mean, I want you to think about this, this guy. Here's, here's Paul. He's in prison. And any moment, and any day, he could get the call and be like, hey, Paul, you come with us, buddy. And Paul would know right there, it, his life is over. And so it's with all this perspective, Paul says, hey, if we live for Christ, if you live for Christ, you're in a win-win situation no matter what the situation is. You see, we get to live and be a part of the greatest mission in the world. And we get to live for Christ, meaning this, we get to know him and experience him, relate to him. And it will not only make our life better now, but when we die, this is even better. We get promoted to be with him forever. Paul's like, what's not to like about that? 
And when we get to that point and when we get to that place, we'll experience joy no matter the circumstances. It's a win-win. So let me ask you a question. And I, I think it's a challenging question. It may not be as challenging for you, but it's challenging for me. How would you fill in this blank right here? And it's the Paul line. For me, to live is blank. Now, here's the interesting thing about that. It's like I gave you the answer to the test before you took the test, you know? It's kind of like, here's the answer. You know, here's what Paul said. Oh, I know what I'm supposed to put in there and all that stuff. And, you know, so we know what to put in there. But for most of us, if we're honest, that's not what we would put in there. And you know what? That's okay. My purpose for telling you that isn't to make you feel guilty. My purpose for telling you that is because I want you to leave here knowing exactly what you would put in there. Because my hope is, and my prayer is, is that someday, like Paul, we would come to the place where we'd say, the best thing by far to put in that blank is Christ. So here's what I want to do. I want to I want help us discover what exactly we would put in that blank. And here's how we're going to do that. We're going to do an exercise together. Now, I, here's the thing. I know I used to sit in church and the speaker would say, we're going to do an exercise. I'd be like, yeah, you're going to do the exercise. I'm not going to do anything. All right. So I know how this works. I get it. And so I just, I can't encourage you enough to just do this exercise with me. Okay. Even if it's the pacify me, just do this exercise with me. And here's, here's why I want you to do this exercise with me. Here, here, here's why. We get one shot at this life. One shot. Why? We get to live. Wouldn't we want to do it the right way? And the reason we're doing this exercise is because here's the question we're going to ask, we're going to answer. What are you living for? Really, what are you living for? So here's how we're going to do this. Let's just say I take six people in your life that know you really, really well. And they could be family members, they could be friends, coworkers, people that you grew up with, you know, whatever it may be. Six people that know you well. And I'm going to take them and I'm going to put them in a room. And as I put them in a room, I am going to say some words that describe what they believe you value most in your life. And so we're in a room, I'm going to give them some words, and they would say, yeah, I would agree that they value that, and, or no, I don't agree that they value that. Now, there's two things that you need to keep in mind on this, on this whole thing. You get to watch them, but they don't know that you're watching them. And then here's the second part of this. As I'm going through the list of words, if you look at that and go, you know what, that's what I would believe they would say, not what I want them to say, okay, that's different. It's what you believe they would say based on being around you and all that stuff, that as I said that, I want you to write down that word or words somewhere. Now, you know, for some of you, you can just take out your phone and the notes part. Now, here's the cool thing about this. You can take out your phone. You could be texting or being, I wouldn't even know the difference. I think, man, they're participating. That's really cool. So you take out your phone, whatever it is, I want you to write down the word or words that you would go, I believe that they would say that about me. So you got your six people. I'm in a room, room with them. You're watching from, from afar, but they don't know that you're watching. Okay, here's some words. I give them this word. Career, career. They say, she's living for work. She's all about work. I mean, career advancement is important to him. Would they say that? Would they say that about you? Here's another word. Good times, party, and fun. Would they say, oh, 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 Joe, man, oh, good old Joe. Man, Joe, when we're in a party with Joe, I mean, jo Joe, man, he is always the last one to leave, pretty much, you know? I mean, you know, she, oh, she's so much fun. When we're in a party, I mean, she loves good times. She loves party. Fun, 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 fun. Would they say that about you? 
Here's another one. Family. Family. Well, they look at your life and they go, you know, Jim, Jim is, man, I tell you what, his family really matters to him. I see him making decisions. He's investing in his kids. He's investing in his marriage. He's investing in his relationships. I mean, I just see, or would they say, he's pretty disengaged from his family. What about this one? Freedom. I know for some people, this is the highest value for them. It's like, she just wants to do whatever she wants to do. He wants to do whatever he wants to do. Is that, I mean, is that, a, is that a big deal for you? What would they say? Here's another one. Money, 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 money. Would they say, oh, man, he's all about money. She lives for money. Money is a big deal to him. It's a big deal to her. What about this one? God. These six people that know you well, would they say, you know what? When I think about her, I can tell God's important to her. She's involved in her church. Uh, he, he, like, when he talks about God, I don't know, he actually, like, talks about God in just such a positive way and what God's doing in his life. I mean, I, I mean, it's just, it's just something about him. You know, I can just tell God matters to him. Or would they say, well, they believe in God. I don't see God really mattering very much in their life, but, you know, they believe in God. What would they say about you? Here's another one. Possessions and stuff. Would they say, man, he is all about bigger, better, and newer? Would they say, she's all about upgrades? I mean, every time I see him, I mean, he's just got something new in his life. What about this one? Good causes. Would they say, you know what? She is a champion for. He has a heart for. Would they say that about you? Final one. And there's more you could do. Comfortable life. Comfortable life. Would they say, hey, when I, when I think about this person, they're just looking for the easiest possible way to live their life. You see, what's great about this is that we see ourselves most clearly when we begin to see ourselves through the eyes of the people that know us the best. What word or words did you write down? Now, let me come at this from, from another angle. How would you answer, answer these questions? Where does your mind focus when it's free to roam? You know, what do you find yourself daydreaming about the most? It's often what we think about the most is a great indicator of what's most important to us. Here's another one. Where do you love to invest your free time? If you were just given a random day off, what are you doing with that day off? You know, it's what we pursue. It's what we get involved in with our time. It shows what we value the most. And the final question is this. What do you joyfully spend discretionary dollars on? In other words, what do you give to? As Jesus said, where our money is, so our heart will be. You see, our mind, our free minutes, and our money give us valuable insight into what we value the most. What are you truly living for? Now, let me ask you this question. Are you satisfied with it? Are you satisfied? I mean, really, are you really satisfied with your answers? Deep within your gut, do you go, oh, yeah, 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 I'm satisfied with that. Is it worthy of the allegiance of your one and only life? When you get to the end, are you going to go, I am so glad I was known for that? Now, if, you, if you're not glad, if you're not happy, the good news is we can trade it in. You see, this is what Paul was trying to say all along. He's saying, hey, let's reconsider Let's go to a higher level. 
And when we begin to chase after Jesus, he will pull us to a higher level because he wants our lives to matter. And it's when we know deep within our soul that our lives matter, that what we're living for really matters, we will experience a deep sense of joy. Let me put back the verse again. Paul says, for to me, to live is Christ and die is gain. For to me, to live is Christ and die is gain. What would it mean for you to be able to say that? What if that was the filter for all of your decisions? If you just said, all right, I'm going to follow Jesus. It means I'm going to obey him completely. My decisions matter. How I live my life matter. It's not some random coin toss or coin flip. You see, for me, I'm going to live for Christ because it's in Christ we discover that we truly get to live. Now, I'm going to pray for us, but before I do that, next week, we're going to talk about a big paradox that if we can get our minds around this paradox, and it's a real difficult one, it'll impact every relationship in our life. Now, here's what I want to pray for us today. We did this last week as well. We're all in different places, which is the beauty of just coming together uh, like this. We're all in different places. For some of you, you're not a Christian. And uh, you're like, well, I'm just kind of look, looking around and searching all stuff. Hey, that's great. When we pray, I, here's, here's how I want you to pray in, just to yourself. Someone say, God, I just want to be open, whatever that means. Now, for some of you, you're relatively new, and you're like, I can't put that in the blank yet. I can't even imagine putting Christ in the blank yet. I just want you to pray, would you help me to take the next step? Would you just help me to take the next step? And for some of you, you're like, I want that in the blank. I want that in the blank. I want you to be that, that, that be your prayer as I pray. So I want everybody to bow their head, close their eyes, and you just pray where you are within, within your context as I pray for us. Father, uh, as we look at what just Paul said here, there's a lot here. I mean, God, for some of us, we're stuck with the why question right now. Some things going on in our lives, something's happening to us, uh, maybe something going on around us to someone we love and care about. And uh, God, uh, as we ask the why question, would you help us to just start to ask the what question? And uh, begin, to, begin to have eyes and, and ears to just see what you're doing and uh, how you're going to use whatever this is uh, for something to work in our lives and to work in the people around us. God, uh, for those of us, as we ask for what we're living for, deep down we're going, I, I got to be honest, I'm not satisfied with that. And God, you don't want us to be satisfied with that. You made us, you created us to live for something more to have a life of significance, to really do things that matter with our life. God, sometimes it's hard for us to see that that's found in you, and uh, you've got something for everyone. God, for those who are here and maybe aren't sure about who you are, uh, God, I pray you give open hearts to just continue to take the next step and to search and to learn and to grow. And for those of us who are new and we're like, I think I want to, but I don't really know what that means yet, God. God, just help us to take the next step. And for those who are going, I'm ready. God, that we would completely go, yeah, God, I'm going to put in for to me, to live is you. Father, thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you, God, that as we take these steps together, uh, I pray across our church and all those who are watching online, that we would begin the process of experiencing the beautiful and the wonderful and yet somewhat mysterious thing called joy. Thank you, God, for it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.